Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Priya Rose, for whom relating to self is all about sweeter self-talk. Enjoy. Priya, welcome to the Relating to Self podcast. Thank you very much. Um, just so that people have an idea of who you are, could you briefly describe yourself? Um, I would say I'm mostly a community organizer. So I run a co-living house. And so at this point, there's 15 of us as of like four days ago. Um, and around that house, we also have like a big community of, I don't know how many people, 50 to 100 people who who kind of all know each other and come by often and all that. And then my latest project is called The Neighborhood. And the goal is to bring a thousand friendly, ambitious nerds all within walking distance of one another. Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a question I think about often, how to make that happen. But yeah. But today we're here to talk about how you relate to yourself and what that means. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so my first question traditionally is always the same. When you hear the words relating to self, what comes up for you? What does that mean? Mm. Yeah, I think the first thing I thought, thought about was just the idea of self-talk and how you talk to yourself. And I, I actually, I think in terms of the way I've, change how I relate to myself. Uh, that's been the biggest change for me over the years is that my self-talk became a lot sweeter. Actually, after my first real relationship, um, I basically like learned to talk to myself the way I would talk to my partner, um, which was just like, you know, almost like baby talk. It's like really, really just like extra sweet and extra supportive and like always like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Like, great job, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a wonderful principle, I guess. Um, it struck me very often that the the way I spoke to myself internally was so different than the way I spoke to my friends or my partner or anyone really. And I remember thinking at some point, like, wait, if I talk to other people the way I talk to myself, would they stick around? And the answer was, well, probably not. So I'm curious, mm. was that <laughs> was that the same for you? I think so. It was so long ago at this point. So this is probably like early 20s and now I'm 30. So it's like, um, I can't even really like go back and kind of get in that mindset, but I did journal a lot. So sometimes I, I can go back and read my journals a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I mean, maybe it's stereotypical, but I think my previous voice was probably my mom and my mom is like a generally critical person. <laughs> I love her, but she's, uh, she, she tends to see things and, and like, I think she's always worried about safety. So everything you bring up, she's like, well, what, what if it went wrong basically? And so I think that's kind of, the voice in my head was always saying things like that too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That that feels relatable. <laughs> um, well, I guess it's also, you know, something that comes up a lot on the podcast here is IFS, uh, internal family systems. Yes. So it's this idea mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you integrate these voices and then they become part of you. So I definitely also have had this relationship with 
the part of me that represents my mother a lot. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious of how the process unfolded for you to come from that earlier version where maybe you weren't so kind to yourself to then have this very mm. sweet and supportive voice because you say you talk like sweetly and supportive to your partner, which makes sense. But then how did you mm. navigate that transition? How did you even realize that you wanted to speak with a kinder voice to yourself? Yeah, so that was like um, mid-college or something. And I, I was doing therapy at the time, which was probably pretty helpful. Um, but I think what was more helpful is I started dating someone uh, who actually, his parents also lived within like an hour's drive and we would go visit his parents a lot. And his parents just had a very healthy relationship. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I was just in this system of like love, basically. <laughs> um, and everyone was very kind to each other. And I think over time, it just kind of rubbed off on on me as well. Um, I feel like I just learned a lot about how to treat other people and how to treat myself. I'm not sure I have any like anecdotes that stand out at the moment. I, I kind of a silly anecdote is my my partner used to, if I was being mean to myself, he would say, hey, kiss yourself. And he'd give me my hand. Like, so I'd kiss my hand. <laughs> so he, he kind of like forcibly taught me in some ways too, I think. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm laughing because that, that, seems hilarious at the same time i realize okay. i do that i do it myself as well like very often when i wake up mm -hmm. in the morning in bed like you know i'll just kiss kiss my mm -hmm. shoulder or arm mm -hmm. just kind of like you know yeah 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 it's a nice feeling. yeah but it makes a lot of sense like basically what you're yeah. saying is that environment matters right if you're surrounded by people who treat each other badly then that's how you will end up oh, yeah. um, mimicking that inside of yourself mm -hmm. and if you are surrounded by people who treat themselves and others well, then you will learn from that and you will kind of like, that becomes easier, I guess. So then is it a stretch to say that maybe the project you're working on, like gathering the, the good people around you is maybe related to this idea of like, hey, if I surround myself with good people, then it becomes easier to have a good relationship with myself. Not a stretch, not a stretch at all. Yeah. So, so, um, I think there's, so there's some history where I feel like even, you know, into my twenties, I was, I was just a little bit lonely and like post-college was like feeling very isolated and eventually found co-living. Um, and that's been really satisfying. But I think the other thing I've seen with co-living is how much people change, um, when they just have this environment where they feel kind of like safe and loved and like they can be themselves. Um, and that's actually kind of wild too. Like somebody will kind of come into the scene and they seem a little bit closed off or a little bit shy or something like that. Um, and then over time they like really loosen up and you realize they're like really funny and, and all these things. Um, but then they also take much bigger risks. So the, the story I always like to tell about our co-living house is, um, one day a friend of ours, he stood up in front of the group cause we used to do these kind of lightning talks and he gave this lightning talk, which they're very casual and you can ask for help when you do them. So he stood up in front of the group and he said, I'm a poet, but I don't know what that means. And then other people raised their hands and kind of just like asked him questions, gave him feedback. And one of our friends said, what if you go to Central Park with a typewriter and you put up a sign that says like poetry by donation or something like that? Um, and then he did it and he came back the next week and he said, um, you know, I went to Central Park. I set up my typewriter and people came and asked me for poems and he paid off his rent in two days and he paid back money that he owed his ex-girlfriend. And that was this summer. And so now it's been maybe like five months. and this. He's doing this full time. Um, and before that, he was, you know, like he internally felt like a poet, but he wasn't doing that on the outside. 
Um, so it's been a really incredible transformation to see. Yeah, that's really beautiful. That that really points at something important, I think, and that is that we are more the product of our environment than we believe, or at least if we allow it to, it can have a lot of, a lot more influence than than we give credit for. Um, I'm I'm curious if having gone through that transformation of like improving your inner self talk because you saw the the people around you behaving more healthily, um what kind of effect did that have on how you want to be present to something like a co-living community? Will you go out of your way to kind of like have healthy relationships or how do you navigate that? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind is actually the opposite, which is like, I, one thing that's very important to me in co-living and especially when we host is that like, I show up however I am. And so sometimes I show up like a little bit grumpy or a little bit depressed or whatever it is. Um, and I just still show up and I'm not even necessarily like that friendly if I don't feel friendly. Um, but I think the goal is we try to create an environment where you can be yourself. And I think people often have this like outside persona, public persona, and then inside persona. And it's like, okay, if I'm not able to conjure up this like fake friendliness, then I shouldn't even go to this party. Um, or like, I'm going to force myself to go, but I'm going to kind of like fake it. And sometimes that's good. I mean, you can, it, it can create this plate full atmosphere and it can create like a feedback loop that's positive. Um, but I like to just like almost like model, like, okay, I can just be however I am and people will accept me and vice versa. I, I hope that people come by and they feel comfortable, you know, being how they are. And especially, you know, people often, you know, they've had bad weeks or they've had a bad day, uh, or sometimes they've had a great day, but it's like, it doesn't really matter. Like, however you are, you can just show up. And I try to create a community where that's the case. That's awesome. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Like, um, for me, definitely the the core of having healthy relationships is to be honest about what's going on for you, right? Mm-hmm. If you cannot, if you can look at what's real and be real with others, then there is no way you can build relationships that have any kind of integrity. So I, I like hearing that. Um, I'm curious if you have any rituals for yourself to actually like improve your relationship with yourself in a let's say, more structured way. So not something that comes out of your daily life, something that you actually like a practice. Uh, you said you journaled earlier. Do you still do that? Is there anything else? Yeah, I do do gratitude lists a fair amount. So like in the morning, I have a morning routine, kind of. I I actually do use my morning routine almost every day if I'm like in a good place, which can last for months at a time. But uh, but sometimes it falls off, so I haven't done it in a while. But um, But when I do do it, I we'll usually just write three things I'm grateful for when I wake up. And that's like, just helps me reframe things and get in a good place. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. I, it's interesting because I've, that's one of the practices that I've known about a very long time, but that I've actually never, never done. <laughs> like I have many practices, but the gratitude list is, yeah. I wonder if I should try it always shows up as like, oh, this is like, I don't know, there's all this like science on it or something. But yeah, to me, it's just like, I mean, yeah, you like probably in your life, like even at low points, like some things are going well and like some friends are being extra lovely. Like it just really like, like a lot of times my gratitude list is about some person. Like it's like person X did this really nice thing for me. And it's just nice to like reflect on it for a moment and be like, oh, wow. Like actually so many people were kind to me yesterday, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I think 
once we get out of our, our own way, we see a lot more what others are, are doing for us or, you know, the way they show up. And we may all, not always notice these things maybe in the moment. What's interesting to me is that in relating to yourself, um, mm. you speak a lot about other people. And this is not the first time that this happened on the podcast. It's it's really interesting. It's almost yeah. like there's, I don't want to make any like false dichotomies or anything, but it's almost like two groups of people. There's like the people who like for whom their practice of relating to themselves is very internal. And so it's all about like meditation and sitting with themselves and going through processes. And then there's this other group of people for whom relating to self is mostly almost like a group practice, right? They they define themselves much more in relationship to their to their peers or their, their close ones. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on on that polarity, so to speak. Um is there a part of you that relates to yourself just within yourself? Or is it always also about your connections to others? Yeah, there is a part that relates just within myself. But it's kind of hard to describe. It's like the part that relates just between within myself is like, it just lays around. Like, like literally I'll just lay around and I'll be like, I don't know, like kind of thinking, but not even really thinking. Like, I do feel like I do a lot of processing. That's just by myself. Um, I also, I mean, sometimes do a lot of processing just by taking like a microdose of shrooms or LSD or something like that. Um, and there's like a lot of feeling of feelings. Um, but I'm not sure that there's any, like, I don't, I've, I've, I've played around with meditation. I think it's fine. It's not that helpful to me. Um, but there is something that I do that I don't describe, but is like, you know, I do, I feel like I give myself a lot of space to like process things on my own as well. Um, but yeah, I think as the years have passed, I think like community has become a, a big thing for me. Um, and I have, like I mentioned in the email, like I, I've been going through this depression for the last, I don't know, month and a half or something. And it feels really significantly different than previous depressions I've gone through because like it, it, there are a lot of dark points, but also there's so many good people around me all the time and they're like always like pulling me out. So it's like, um, it's a little bit surreal, I guess. Um, but I feel like it's way more effective. Like if I was just living on my own, not surrounded by friendship and community and stuff, I probably, it would be like this deep dark point, but instead it's like, you know, there's all these like little spikes where, I'm like, oh, wow, like, I live such a good life, you know? Mm. I wonder if you would mind me asking some questions about the depression. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Great. Cause I might, well, if it's public, I, I, I might be a bit vague in certain points, but, but go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you hold your boundaries, right? <laughs> but I think it's interesting because I don't think I've ever had anyone on the podcast before who was like, in a depression currently. Mm, and yeah. what I'm really curious about is the relationship between being in a depression and then how you relate to yourself. What what does your inner ah, self yeah. look like, right? Yeah. Well, that was why. So there was like maybe a week that was like deep depression. And that was uh, that was really like my self-talk was like, oh, I'm not smart. I'm not. Um, well, OK, now I can't even relate to it because it was <laughs> it was a couple of weeks ago. Like, what else was it? It was. It's great. I actually, I'm going to look at, look for it. I have a Google doc that I sent to my husband where I was like, I was like explaining like all the thoughts that were going through my head. I'm going to see if I can find it. That's <laughs> so cool. See. So you externalized your inner monologue. I, I do. I do. That's how to I do yeah, it. Again, to the community around you. That's, 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 that's kind of how I yeah. do it. Yeah. 
Um, oh yeah, I, yeah, I was feeling just so I have I I occasionally I mean I haven't felt this in a long time actually, but I think when I was younger I used to have these fears around being smart enough, and it literally I mean my my narrative at least is that it comes from I grew up in Palo Alto, which is like it's where Stanford University is, and it's like the area in the U.S. with the highest rate of PhDs. So everyone's family, like, you know, everyone's parent is like very high achieving. And we actually had um, what's called like a suicide train. Like we had like 10 suicides at my high school while, while I was there. So it was like kind of a, it was like in some ways a very healthy place, in other ways a very toxic place. Um, and so I think just growing up in that environment, I had like all these insecurities about being smart and capable, essentially. So that came back up a little bit, which is interesting because I felt like I was way past that. Um, but then when I went into a deep thing, it's like, oh yeah, there's, there's things in my brain that are still like ready to get triggered at any time. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I was feeling, this is kind of a weird one, but I, I also have some insecurities around music. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I was really shy as a kid too. So I wouldn't talk at all. And then when I was put in music class, cause you, you were required to take two years in music. I just like when I was in voice class, I would lip sync and I wouldn't actually sing. <laughs> And then in clarinet, I would just move my fingers, but I wouldn't actually play. But I like really want to learn. But I, I I have like all these weird blocks around it. So I've been like kind of learning as an adult. But I feel like all the people around me are, you know, really into music, really good at it. And so, yeah, it just triggered like all these all these other old insecurities, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating to me because, well, I, I used mm-hmm. to be a musician. Um, so that's something I, I can relate to maybe a bit more closely than, than other things. Um, and it sounds almost as if, you know, when you're lip syncing or pretending to play the clarinet, is this related to something like a fear of expressing yourself or a feeling, uh, maybe a fear of being seen or how would you frame that? I don't know. It's kind of hard to relate like back, like to what that was like. Um, yeah, I always, I always, I had like good close friends. And if I knew people well, I was like quite silly. And I guess in some ways, like quite extroverted in a way. But in, in public, when I was a kid, it, I was, you know, I would say nothing really. Um, I think, I think mostly it was like, I didn't understand other people or something. Like there was something fundamental about, I didn't understand like how they were thinking or what they were like or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of hard to, to psychoanalyze. Well, you know, when you say this thing, maybe I didn't understand other people. I can relate mm. to that a lot. And I actually still believe that's true. <laughs> like in the mm, sense that yeah. we, we, we don't know what's going on in other people, right? And mm. I guess there's, there's a certain way in which we are always solitary beings. And the only thing we can do is maximize our potential for communication by learning to express ourselves well and learning to hear others well. And I think there's a very rich and beautiful field of of possibilities there. But in essence, you kind of never know what's going on in someone else. So I, I totally yeah. That. Also, I have to say, um, well, I was a professional singer for many, many years. And I remember my very, very first voice lessons. I don't think there's anything more terrifying than wow. bearing your soul just by, you know, doing something you can't do at all with your body, which is singing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm wow. not surprised that that was, that was triggering for you. Also, um, when was that? 
Well, that was when I was 18 and entered the conservatory. Um, I entered the conservatory to study music composition. And then I was very surprised to find that, you know, vocal lessons were on my schedule as well, oh, as well wow. as choir wow. and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was yeah, a shock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was this other thing. The idea that while in the depression, while sitting yeah. with yourself with these dark thoughts, you mm. still kind of like reach out to your community and you, you, you basically, it seems to me, help them with what you're afraid of. Like this idea of like, hey, maybe I can't understand other people. And then you write a document for them with how you're feeling, kind of like to explain, you know, so that they maybe could understand you better. So I wonder where this, where this comes from, this, this relating to self through others so much. Mm. Do you have any kind of inkling? Because I don't have that at all. So for me, that's like mystifying, right? It's like, mm, I'm, I'm looking at you, I'm like, wow, how does that work? Uh, it's very much a learned behavior because I think it just works so well. So, um, I mean, when I was in, I don't know, this was like a month ago or something, there was a point of like a week where I was like deeply depressed. And I actually well, did very much did self-isolate. I wasn't really talking to anyone about it. Um, but to me, I feel like the cycle of depression, it's like you have to like, you have to get yourself to the point, like do the minimal amount of processing, like the MVP processing enough that you feel comfortable sharing with somebody. And then you talk to that person. And actually, most of the time, once you talk to someone, you feel a little bit better because especially if you have good friends and like empathetic friends, um, then I don't know, it's just like, maybe this is just me, but I, I do think like humans just often feel better once they can like connect with another human. Uh, on whatever they're feeling and what the, their problems are. And then that's like a positive spiral feedback loop. And then basically after I talked to the first, so actually I'm not sure if you've had uh, Tyler Alterman on the podcast yet. No, not yet. Okay. Okay. But he, run, he runs in our, you know, little Twitter circles. And actually the, what happened was I had a call scheduled with him about something totally different, um, but he's a friend of mine. And I just, I got to the point where like, Right as the call started, I was like, Tyler, I actually don't want to talk to you about this like logistical thing. Like I have something else to talk to you about. Um, and I think if I had had to like reach out and say like, hey, let's do a call or something like that, I wouldn't have done it. But it was like I had this I had this hour set aside to talk to him anyway. And I realized right before it started, it was just like kind of fell into my lap. I was like, oh, this is actually the perfect person that I should talk to about my problem right now. Um, and then I ended up feeling way better. And that was kind of the beginning of the cycle. And then I proactively reached out to a bunch of other people. Um, and that was really helpful. That's amazing. That makes so much sense. Like, you know, I, I get it that asking for that call when you're in that state is really difficult, but if you already have a call scheduled or if there's already like a moment planned that you will meet someone that becomes so much easier. So maybe I wonder if one of the things that we just need, just like as a basic kind of human human being level yeah is just being around others and i'm i'm curious if you think that it matters that you express yourself about the thing that's going on currently or if maybe just being in the presence of someone would also already be helpful because i sometimes feel that right i sometimes have this idea like hey i just want to be around someone but i don't have the energy to actually have a conversation to be present to them or to express myself so I'm curious if you had any experiences where just being around others had roughly the same effect. 
Kind of. Um, I would say so. I live in a co-living house. So like even through this whole thing, I was around others a lot. Um, and I, I do think I was hopeful. I think I can go into these like depression loops on my own. And then if I'm with somebody and, you know, my my housemates are being really playful and stuff like that. It's like, you know, it, it kind of like takes me out of my own head. Um, but I will say until I started talking to people about it, I felt very isolated, even when there were other people around. Um, so there's this weird feeling of like you can be with other people. But then if there's things on your mind that you're not talking about, then sometimes that can feel worse as well. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I guess there's something there about a specific kind of presence. For me, it's, it's something I've noticed on the podcast as well. I enjoy doing these podcast mm. conversations because it kind of frames a specific presence. Like I think it's much harder when I meet people in casual circumstances to have conversations like these because that's not what people are used to. Whereas here in the podcast, I'm right. like, hey, you know, this is a recording. We're speaking about this specific thing. It allows me to step into a certain kind of presence with someone that I love, that I enjoy. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious also if maybe just being around people is not enough because they're just doing their stuff. But I'm wondering if just like presencing with someone and like being truly attentive to someone, even if you don't really speak about what's going on, could be beneficial in some way for your relationship with yourself right it can be it can be quite nice yeah do you have any like presencing practices within within your co-living or within your community is it a thing you do oh that's interesting hmm. so i guess the first thing that comes to mind i don't do it very much but um but my husband and I sometimes like will do circling, quote unquote, with each other, which we don't even have much circling experience. So I'm not sure that that really means anything. But it, it it's like we just set the frame, right? We're like, okay, we're circling now. Um, and I think anytime our relationship has some like underlying tension or we're in conflict in some sort, sometimes we'll we'll start basically circling before bed as like a habit, and that's that's quite helpful. Cool. Yeah. Um, well. Andrew, your your husband will yes, will be yes. in the podcast as well, so that's going to be interesting. Where oh, we can, where we can I love that. Like, connect those threads. <laughs> um, Heck yeah, yeah. I've I've been curious about circling. It came up a couple of times in the podcast, and I've done it a couple of times myself. And every time I've done it, I was like, I don't really understand what this is about, and nobody seems to explain exactly what it is about either. So. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you because also you, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like the thing. So funnily enough, we actually held our own circle. And it's, again, do we know what circling is? No, not really. But like just a week and a half ago or something, uh -huh. another Twitter friend had posted that she was interested in circling, but she like was kind of allergic to all the hippie stuff. And she was like, I wish I could just circle with like non, you know, I don't know, more rational people or something. And so then Andrew reached out and he was like, okay, I'll host a circle. And we did a circle with like, I think just five of us. Um, and it was really cool actually to see like how everyone relaxed together. I think just setting the frame of like, okay, this is a space where you can be however you want to be. And like, I was like laying on the couch. Most people were like, kind of on the floor and there was some deep stuff, but there was also just a lot of like silliness. Like people felt more comfortable, just like, even though pretty much Andrew and I know, knew everyone, but everyone else didn't know each other. And I think it like opened up the social space a lot. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. I think it's a it's a, a great practice no matter what comes out of it, right? Like no matter if you know what it is or how to do it, if you just 
open a space of presencing. Basically, that's what it is, I guess. Nice. Yeah. Um, Priya, I'm I'm also curious. When you think of your relationship with yourself, mm. what would you say is still challenging for you? Hmm, great question. Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, I think kind of going back to like, you know, going into this depression, like it brought up some some different insecurities and stuff. Um, but for the most part, I don't like it. Maybe again, like I, I relate so much to other people or something. It's like, like right now, I still feel in some sort of depression, but now it doesn't feel necessarily like I have that much negative self-talk or anything. Um, I feel like I have a lot of patience with myself. Um, but I guess the, maybe the, the part that gets hard is when I feel impatient. Like, like sometimes I feel like, okay, well, I don't know, like it's time to feel better time to like make more progress on, you know, the neighborhood and all the other things I'm working on. And, um, and yeah, I think when I feel impatient, that creates a lot of tension, but I try to try to exercise patience, I would say. That's such an interesting one. I don't think I've talked a lot about patience on the podcast yet. Mm. Um, I'm also curious what exactly you mean with patience, because when I parse that for myself, I've noticed that I think a lot more about compassion, perhaps, mm. than, than patience. Like this idea, like, you know, it's whatever goes wrong, whatever I do that is not as I thought I should do, I can be compassionate because, you know, I'm human, I make mistakes. It's all part of the of the plan. But patience, what exactly do you mean when, when you say cultivating patience with yourself? Yeah, so, okay, so one of my favorite quotes actually comes from Twitter. It might be like, a, it might be like an old famous quote, but I just saw it in a tweet. And it says, um, well, let me think of it. Okay, it's like between two joys, there's grief and between two griefs, there's joy, something like that. Um, maybe slightly more eloquent. Um, but but I think that's kind of how I view life and my life as well, which is like, it's just kind of like you're going back and forth between these periods of grief and joy. And so to me, the patience part is like, okay, like logically, there's somewhere in me that knows like, I won't feel this way forever. And that my feelings are changing every day and fluctuating. Um, and so the patience is like, okay, like there, like there's something that needs to run its course or something like that. Um, maybe it's related to all this Twitter, like non-coercion stuff. It's like, I can be a little bit disciplined by my, with myself, but um, maybe discipline can feel like the opposite of compassion versus like, if I'm compassionate, then I can just trust that I'll go back into a period of joy, basically. And then everything will be easier. For sure. Yeah. I also believe that, you know, whatever emotional state we find ourselves in, it's temporary. It's it's just a thing that passes. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Twitter a couple of times and well, I'm curious about it. I'm still kind of like discovering Twitter or trying to Okay, okay. Let's say I'm trying to define how I relate to Twitter. Yeah. Because in, in my mind, maybe Twitter relates to something you've spoken about before, this idea of like, you know, relating to others. When I started interacting with Twitter more, I felt very overwhelmed. Because it almost felt as if I was inside of a brain and all these neurons were firing random thoughts and there was no no kind of sense of completion of a thought. And then I was exposed to like the raw matter of the thinking. And that felt just like too much. 
But um, I'm curious if for you, Twitter perhaps is like an extension of the relating to yourself through relating to others that you already have as a practice. I, it probably is. That's it's quite a complex question. Um, I it, it, the first thing I think about is when I first got Twitter, and this was a couple of years ago, and there was no such thing as teapot or anything like that. And I think one of the beautiful things about Twitter was I it was like almost like I was anonymous, like nobody followed me or anything like that. And so I was like tweeting into the void and that was really fun and really healing too. You can kind of just say whatever you want. And then like some random people are paying attention to you, but they feel like these meaningless internet people who you're never going to meet. And then it turns out that we all eventually met, um, but there was a lot of freedom in that. And I think that's like, I, I've never really had like a, an on account that I actively use, but I definitely have friends who have used non accounts and like, I think find healing and just being able to like express themselves without worry about like the social consequences. Mm. I'm just going to take a moment to explain a couple of those terms for people who are listening, who are not familiar with the Twitterverse. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you mentioned anon accounts. So that's like anonymous accounts, people tweeting from, not from their name, but just from a, from an avatar basically. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing you mentioned was teapot, which means this part of Twitter, which is kind of like a shorthand for, I guess the little in-group that you have on on your Twitter, right? Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like this idea of anonymous expression and this this like tweeting into the void. It almost feels as if it's an exercise in again relating to yourself, but from a from a perspective outside of yourself for me. Yeah. It's, and that, that's something I can relate to because well, in in I guess back in the day. Um, I made a lot of friends, I guess you could call them at the time, on uh, like bulletin boards and okay. stuff like IR IRC in the in the early days of the internet, you know, internet relay chat, and that was also a space where for the first time I experienced this anonymous interaction with other humans mm. that felt caring and deep and beautiful and committed without knowing most of the things that people usually know about each other. And so I'm I'm wondering if for you, maybe that early Twitter experience was similar. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because you're actually quite connected to people. And I think it's actually not a surprise that eventually a lot of us became friends. And not just us, but also it seems like in general, people are becoming real life friends with their internet friends. Um, and there's like a real deep friendship that can form. And then you meet the people and those characteristics are still true in real life, even if you knew very little about how they looked or, you know, anything else about their lives. Mm. I actually started my first co-living house with a, it, well, with Andrew, but then also with a friend who was an anon friend, just a donkey on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. he's still a friend. He lives down the hall. So <laughs> That's amazing. Mm. That's wonderful. Well, Priya, as we come to the end of this conversation, um, well, I have two more questions. Uh, the first one is, if perhaps you'd have a question for me, like something mm -hmm. you're you're curious about. I'm, I'm experimenting with also, you know, giving a bit more space to, to my thoughts maybe on the podcast. Totally. Yeah, so I, I do. I invite a question. <laughs> yeah, I think the main thing that I've been curious about is, um, is you're saying that your practices are much more internal um or like maybe like less you know interfacing with other people so i'm I'm curious what that looks like mm. well that's a deep question thank you <laughs> i could i could talk about it at length and i guess i'm gonna make a 
like a short version. Um, meditation, definitely, I would say the most important one. And I practice meditation alone. Um, I also don't really follow a path of meditation. You know, there's no specific tradition that I follow. I just sit with myself, basically. Yeah. For me, my meditation, when I have to describe it, I say something like, I sit with what is real. Whatever that is, whatever comes up, I just sit with it without judgment or trying to practice non-judgment. Then some other things that I do are well, journaling practice. And this can take many forms. Sometimes I will just write whatever comes. Sometimes I will ask myself a question. I think a lot of interesting things can get unlocked in people with asking good questions. And for me, very often I have found it very helpful to think of good questions as good questions are tools that you use to come to better questions. Mm, I like so that. the point of a question is not to get an answer, but to get like a better question. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my journaling practice. I think one of the most powerful questions that I've encountered and that I use regularly is what am I avoiding? Mm, yeah, that that's a good a, one. That's a good, yeah, that's a good one. And then there's, there's also um, a bunch of rituals that I do with myself. Um, I have a, a gratitude ritual, I have a forgiveness ritual, I have a, something like a shadow work ritual, I guess you could call it. Um, and then an important part of my relationship with myself in recent years has been my physical practice. Okay, okay. Actually. So uh, more embodied practices such as ecstatic dance, for example. Mm, yeah. Um, and that is something, obviously, that is more related maybe to relating to others because ecstatic dance seems to work better when you do it in a group, but I still practice this on my own as well, just with myself, with my eyes closed, you know, and then, um, just like the, the gym for me, lifting weights is very much, um, a spiritual practice of relating to myself as well. One that also really improves just how I feel in my body. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of like an overview. And when you say rituals, what, what does that look like? Well, a ritual basically, in essence, is something that has a very clear start and end point, and that has a series of maybe acts or or things you go through that is fixed that you don't have to think about, right? So that could be anything. One of my rituals that I can describe, for example, is um, I light a candle, I have a little bowl, and I have a piece of paper, and then I will tear up that piece of paper in eight parts, for example, equal parts. And then I will just sit, meditate for a while, and then I will write down on the pieces of paper, I let go of, and then whatever comes oh, up. Oh, wow. And I do and I do that eight times, and yeah. then I have, at the end I have eight pieces of paper with I let go of fear, I let go of greed, I let go of whatever, you know, whatever I want to let go of. Yeah. And then I will, when that's finished, I will gather those pieces of paper and I will look at the candle. I will take each piece of paper one by one and I will read them aloud. Mm. And then I will burn them. I will put them in the candle and throw them in a little bowl and then watch as they burn completely. That's awesome. And then when that's finished, I blow the candle and that's the end of the ritual. Wow. I'm going to try that. I'll, uh, I'll DM you once I do. Yeah, it's, it's really powerful. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, of course, um, 
as with all practices, I believe the power is in repetition mm. and in consistency. Mm -hmm. So doing it once or a couple of times won't really do anything. But I think if you do it consistently for a longer period of time, it's amazing just how quickly your mind starts to let go of things and how quickly things come up that you hadn't thought about for a very long time mm -hmm. that you want to let go of. That's the magic, I think, right? It's like, oh, wow, suddenly there's this tension appearing that I had no idea from like 15 years ago, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that I relate to, that idea of repetition. I think it's become way more important as I grow up. Um, and so there's certain, there's a couple of books on Zen that have affected me a lot. One is called, I think it's called The Longest Highway. Um, but basically, like, I, I, I also find something spiritual in this idea of just like doing something again and again. And these days, I think my need for novelty is quite low. And my need for a ritual of some sort is, is high. Um, but for me, it's so I, I go to these handstand classes. Um, and that is, there's just something very nice about, it's such, such a simple activity, but it feels so good. Uh, there's something about being upside down that feels good and uh, just getting a little better and better. And, and I don't know what it is about it. Um, and then also I have my favorite coffee shop and I go almost every day. Um, and it's just like a key part of my day to, to go to this coffee shop. Uh, when you say that, my heart goes like, oh, yes. And I miss that so much. Because right now I'm traveling. I go through these periods where I'm very grounded and I'm in the same place every day doing the same things all the time. And then I have a desire to explore and to renew totally. and to feel new things. And then, you know, I travel. So right now I'm traveling through Japan and I don't have that, you know, the, right. the little coffee shop where I go every day and I miss it. And I try to emulate it by just seeing if I can find a place that kind of feels a bit like it could be the place that I go to every day. Totally. And that kind of helps, but it's not the same. Yeah. Great. Priya, one last question for you yeah. is, is there any question that you would have loved to answer, but that I didn't ask you? Oh, not that comes to mind. I hadn't really given too much thought. I kind of came into this blind. Um, yeah, nothing comes to mind. That's great. That's perfect. That means that this conversation is complete. All right. This was lovely. Thank, Thank you so much mm -hmm. for being here. Yeah, I really appreciate your honesty and your candid candor. Yes, candor is the word. Totally. <laughs> and I wish you a beautiful day. Thanks so much. Oh, no, I forgot something. Oh, okay. Where can people find you? Oh. Like, you know, if someone is inspired <laughs> yeah. by this conversation or they want to ask a question, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can they find you? Yeah, probably Twitter is best. Free Goose, P-R-I Goose. Wonderful. I am going to post your Twitter handle in the comments of the show so that people can find you. Sounds great. And I will see you on Twitter, Priya. All right, see you on Twitter. Ciao. Bye. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. Thanks.